right. Amen. Amen. And for, for those who don't know me, my name's Chase Potter. I'm a member here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, and I've been attending the church since I was about 17 years old. And preparing for the sermon, I realized that's been half my life. And it's really been just such a, a pleasure and an honor to be a member of this church family. And, you know, when I was 17 years old, what brought me to the church, like many 17-year-old boys, I was chasing after a pretty girl. And <laughs> she just so ha- happens to be sitting in the front row there. She's now my wife, Lydia, then Shook, now Potter. And Lydia's been coming to this church since she was three years old. Now, I won't tell you how many years that's been. Uh, I'm much smarter than that. Uh, but Lydia started coming here. She was in the nursery, and we've endeavored to make sure that that church nursery stays full. Since that time, we've been blessed with five children of our own, and it's just been, as I think back, many of the, most, uh, of the best moments of my life have happened right here in the walls of this church. I remember standing right down here on my wedding day, and seeing the doors back there at the back of the sanctuary open up, and I saw Lydia coming forward in her wedding dress, and I thought, I distinctly remember thinking this, I cannot believe that I convinced someone that good-looking to marry me. And, and us Potter men, we're not good at many things, but my, my father and my brother are here today. They will attest to the fact that we're very good at marrying way up and out of our league. Uh, so... And then I was, I was baptized right up here in this baptistry. Uh, we were so fortunate within the last year, our two oldest children, Ava and Miles, surrendered their life to Christ. Uh, they made a public profession of their faith through baptism. I got to stand up there in the water with them. What a blessing that is. Uh, our, all five of our children have been dedicated to the Lord through baby dedications in this church. And it's just been such a blessing to be a member of this church family. I can't tell you the number of wonderful relationships Lydia and I have made with fellow, uh, our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. You have come alongside us. You've shared in our joys. You've lifted us up in our sorrows. And it's such a honor and a privilege. And I'm so thankful for Matt to be able to stand before you today and to bring a word, for, uh, a message from God's word. And so before we get started now, I'm not a preacher. That's not my vocation. In full disclosure, I'm a lawyer. So many of you might think, hey, this is a pretty low moment in the history of the church to have a lawyer up here (laughs) on a Sunday morning. Uh, But I'll do my best, okay? And I will also be uh, open with you. And the last time that I tried to step outside my comfort zone and go outside of my vocation, it did not go well at all, okay? It was, I was in my last uh, year of law school and uh, I had just finished up a six-week internship Uh, with the law firm at which I now work. And to do that, I had to give up the job that I had throughout, uh, before law school and I maintained throughout. I was going to to school at night so I could continue to work. We had two children at the time. Lydia was an elementary school teacher. And so that last semester, after I did the internship, the plan was for me to stay home with the kids and Lydia would continue to to teach. And, And I got that itch, you know, about two weeks in. I said, you know, Lydia, I just feel like I've got to be contributing to the family financially in some way. And so I said, I've got a great idea. Lydia immediately looked at me with that look in her eyes like, oh, great, another idea from Chase. So, um, and, and I told her, I said, I'm going to be a substitute teacher. You know, I'm going to put my name on the list at at Greenville ISD, and I'm going to be a substitute. Uh, You know, I went to Greenville ISD. I love the district. I know so many people who work there. I have so many educators in my family. What could possibly go wrong, right? I mean, it's a great idea. And I hear many of you laughing and smirking. I know we have a, a bunch of great teachers and educators in the congregation. You already know where this is headed, right? Didn't go well at all. I was a substitute teacher one time. 
one time only, okay? I was assigned to a kindergarten class. And hey, you're laughing. I thought it was a great thing. I said, these kids are little. They're going to be sweet. This is going to be wonderful. Those kids could smell the fear and inexperience on me in the hallway before I even got to the room, right? And so I'm going throughout the day. These kids are running me over in the class. And I thought, okay, it's been a long morning, but I'm getting near the lunch hour. I'm going to have some relief here soon. I'm going to call Lydia. I'm going to tell her, you've got to tell your principal you're not feeling well. You could come in and fill in for me, or you could at least tell me what I need to do. And I looked down at my watch, and it was 845. And so, <laughs> and so I am still amazed that I am here today before you and made it out of there. And I am. I'm forever grateful for all of you who invest in our, our students so well uh, and our children. But um, so for me, the last time I did this and tried to step out of my vocation, it didn't go well at all. The bar set pretty low. So long as I don't end up huddled up underneath a desk and, and sobbing, I'm going to consider this to be a great success, right? Um, and the other reason I tell you that, this is well outside of my comfort zone. Um, I'm not going to be as polished um, or as uh, comfortable in doing this as Matt or Jesse or Justin. We're so blessed as a church family to have three pastors that do such a wonderful job of delivering the word in a concise and effective manner to us from Sunday to Sunday. And so uh, I'm not comfortable doing this. I was really encouraged, and I hope you're encouraged by seeing me do this as well, when Zach filled in, uh, Zach Potts, another member of our church, filled in for Matt on a Sunday when we were still at Bowie uh, during the renovations at the church. And I know Zach well. We've known each other since high school, maybe earlier than that. And we're very close friends. And I can assure you that getting up in front of a room full of people and speaking is not in Zach's top three of favorite things to do, right? And so it was something that he allowed the Lord to move him outside of his comfort zone and serve the Lord and, and to um, give him glory. And I hope if you're sitting out there today and you're apprehensive about stepping out in faith and serving this church, serving the Lord in a way that takes you outside of your comfort zone. I hope you're encouraged by me doing this today because I certainly can guarantee you that it's not comfortable and it's not uh, something that, you know, I'm used to doing. Now, when Matt approached me and, and asked, would you like to fill in, would you be willing to fill in for me on a Sunday morning? I told him that I would be. And he said, well, what would you like to preach on? And I said, well, if this is going to be my one and only opportunity, what I'd really like to do is the entire book of Revelation. I'll need about six hours and let's make sure we don't do it on a Cowboys noon kickoff because we don't want any riots in the, in the church. Um, he looked at me and he said, you've got 30, he had, well, first of all, he had immediate regret in his eyes, you know, and so he looked at me and said, you've got 30 minutes. And so I went back to the drawing board and I ultimately landed on uh, James 4, 13 through 17. And so that's where we'll be this morning if you want to start turning to James 4, 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there'll be one in the pew back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to take that with you today. That's our gift to you. Um, and while you're turning there, just to give you a little bit of context for why I selected this passage for, for this morning, um, the book of James, first of all, has had a huge impact on my life. During times when um, I struggled with assurance in my salvation, I was really uh, found solace and was lifted up by the, by the book of James. And then also, I think it's a timely message with this being the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, as we go into Thanksgiving, it's a wonderful time to gather with our friends and family and to kind of have a, a moment of reflection and looking back in the many ways in which the Lord has provided for us. He's blessed us, right? It's also a 
wonderful time to get together and to eat amazing food, right? Um, unfortunately for me, I'm on what's called a keto diet. Has anybody heard of this? Any hands? Any keto diet people in here? Okay, I see a couple. Um, pretty much what that means is you just make yourself so miserable that you ultimately lose weight, right? Okay, and so... Um, and you can't have any carbs whatsoever. And everybody knows all the best Thanksgiving dishes, the main ingredient is carbs. And so we're going to have Thanksgiving at my family on Thursday, Lydia's family on Friday. So be praying for me. I'll need to exhibit great self-restraint. I don't know how it's going to go. Um, but as we move past Thanksgiving, if you're like me, as you get into the Christmas season, you start thinking about the new year, you start planning for 2020, right? We start thinking about setting goals, uh, coming up with ideas of, I want to do this at, at my job in 2020. I want to do this with my family. And I think that the uh, James here in, ver in, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, provides us a great uh, message, great instruction on what it looks like for Christians to engage in, in biblical, godly planning and decision-making. So let's look at the text, and we'll start to unpack it. Unpack it. Uh, James starts in, in verse 13. He writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so the way I looked at this, uh, James, essentially, he, this, uh, this passage is broken down into two parts. We look at verses 13 and 14 first, and James gives us instruction as to what we should not do, what we should not say. Let's look back at verse 13, and look, who is James really addressing here? He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So James is addressing the materialistically focused Christian merchants who had arrogantly mapped out their destinations on the basis of profitability uh, with no reference to the will of God. He's really speaking here and talking about focusing on profitability and making money. He's focusing on businessmen of the time, right? And so, but does that mean that this message is only for someone engaging in business, trying to make a profit? Absolutely not. This is a universal message for all of us. Um, no matter our stage in life, we all engage in some form of planning, right? Some form of decision-making. I think about my boys who are ages six and seven. They're sitting in here because it's family Sunday, and so I'm excited to say this to them. Um, every night when we put them to bed, I'm convinced of this based on how this goes, my boys go upstairs, they get put to bed, and they immediately start planning for five to ten minutes. How are we going to torture our parents tonight? How are we going to make them come up the stairs as many times as possible and remind them it's time to go to bed. Um, that's not really planning, that's more conspiring, um, so they should really stop that. But it's just to make the point that no matter what stage of life you find yourself in, whether you're a student, whether you're a, a, a young family, whether you're nearing the age of retirement or in that stage of life, we're all making decisions, we're all planning, and hopefully we're all seeking out the will of God in doing so. Um, and, and it really is, it's our human nature, right, irrespective of life stage, to make decisions, plan, and live without any serious reference to God's will. Or if we do go to God with our plans and decisions, we decide what we're going to do first 
And then we ask God to bless those decisions we've already made, right? We've got it kind of backwards. We're going to God and saying, this is what we want to do. Now bless it, as opposed to going to God first and saying, how would you have me uh, make this decision? How would you have me lead my life? Um, and it's difficult. I mean, it's really difficult in the fast-paced lives that we live. We're so busy nowadays. I can't think of a moment when we're not busy. We're not taking kids. Well, I'm not going to work. We're not taking kids to a sporting event. We're not going to an after-school event. And, and it becomes so difficult to slow down and to really try to discern, what would God have me do in this situation that's not a huge decision in my life? I'm not talking about the choosing of the spouse or choosing of your occupation. I'm talking about how we're going to spend our time how we're going to spend our money, who we're going to, going to associate with. We need to slow down as Christians, prioritize our life and say, God, how would you have me move in this situation? And before we move on to verse 14, I also want to make the point that James here, even though he is rebuking these, these men and women who are focusing on planning for the sake of making a profit, this is not advocating against the act of planning itself, right? This is advocating against planning with no reference to God, specifically God's will in your life. I think it's vitally important as Christians, we're not called to live haphazard lives, right? We are called to be intentional and to live with a purpose. If we uh, think specifically with respect to the things of God, how we could further the gospel, if we never sit down and plan what are my opportunities for furthering the gospel, right? If we don't have a purpose and we don't know if I'm presented with these opportunities to share the word with someone who is lost and in need, how am I going to approach that? If it just comes on to us and we've never planned, we're not intentional, then we're really going to struggle to be effective. So we as Christians absolutely should be focused on intentionality for the Lord. Now let's look at verse 14. And James reminds us here of, of, of a truth that I think we could all agree with. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And this is a really humbling statement from James that reminds us of the transitory and fleeting nature of our lives, right? And it's not a new concept in Scripture. If we look back in Psalms, uh, Psalms 102, verse 11, King David sings, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. In the same Psalm 102, verse 3, it states, for my days pass away like smoke. If we look at Job 9, 25, my days are swifter than a runner. This truth that our lives are short and unpredictable is vitally important to effective biblical planning and decision-making. It's so foolishness. It's such foolishness for us to think that we could plan out our lives with no reliance on God. Why, why do we think, we don't even know if we will see tomorrow, much less what it holds for us, right? But God, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the universe, he knows. He knows what has in store for your life because he wills it into existence, right? We waste so much of our time and our energy making plans and decisions on our own with either no or casual reliance on God in an effort to accomplish these worldly goals that have absolutely no eternal impact. Such a practice is just ineffective and worthless, and I'm as guilty as anybody of it. Um, even worse, we put off the very things we know God has called us to, like evangelism, uh, in favor of our own selfish desires, desires and plans. 
of which have no lasting value like we talked about before. I am so guilty of this. Like I said before, our lives are so busy and we prioritize things in, in manners that make no sense from an eternal standpoint, right? If I've got a, a deadline on Friday at work, I find myself oftentimes getting so focused on that and knowing that, well, this is, this is a deadline. I have to get it done by Friday. And without explicitly thinking it in my mind, I'm going through the process of, well, God will be there on Monday, right? I'll have the opportunity to speak into that person's life on Monday. I could put that off. Man, how foolish is that of me to prioritize these things that have no lasting value over the things of the Lord? And it's difficult because our lives are busy. Um, instead, what we should be doing is we should be steadfast and seeking God's will. And that kind of takes us into verse 15. Uh, let's look at what James says about seeking out God's will. And this is where he really transitions from what we should not do, what we should not say, and how we should say and act. Verse 15, it says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so, in Latin, the phrase, Dio Valente, you might have seen on the Facebook um, uh, page for Ridgecrest. Just, or Justin made this incredible um, um, picture that, that he, was, he was preparing for uh, this sermon, and it said on there, it had the image, God willing. And so that's what uh, Dio Valente means in Latin. And so that should be the constant refrain of our hearts as we conduct the affairs of our life. If God is willing, we will do this. If God is willing, we'll do that. Now, as I was reading through some commentary and preparing for the sermon, there was mention of at different times in church history, Christians would use the abbreviation DV when, for instance, signing a letter. Now, for people who are my age or younger, letters used to be a real thing, okay? Like people would actually take paper and write down things on letter and use the postal office. So if you don't know where I'm going with this, think about uh, text messages, tweets, things like that, okay? And so now that we're all on the same page. But Christians would sign their letters DV, meaning God willing, okay? And so if they wrote you a letter about the upcoming holidays and they said, I'll be there for Christmas, I look forward to seeing you, DV Chase, meaning if God wills it. And it's such a great reminder of that God is the one in control of our lives, right? And that we have to rely on him for anything, for any of our plans. And you don't see that anymore. I mean, and not saying that you know, we should be signing all of our letters or emails or what have you with DV, but that should be the constant refrain of our hearts, the recognition that, man, my life is short, my life is unpredictable, and I might plan out these things, but it will only come to fruition if God wills it, and having that understanding. Um, it should be written over all of our plans, whether it be major decisions, choosing a spouse, choosing where you're going to go to college, what you're going to major in, or what you're going to do for a living, or, and I think more importantly, the thing that we struggle with the most, just our, like we talked about before, those everyday decisions. How am I going to spend my money? Do I go to God every time that I decide we're going to do this from an entertainment standpoint in our family? We're going to go to a football game. We're going to go on this vacation. Have I gone to God and said, is this your will, God, for me and my family? Are you wanting me to use these resources that you provided me in a different way to further the gospel? We should be more intentional about that and really um, think about Am I pursuing the things of God or am I pursuing my own selfish desires? Um, 
I think we should ask ourselves this question, and it's a tough one, with respect to are we living our lives in a manner where we're seeking out God's will, and are we acting it out once we discern what God's will is in our life? If for an entire week of your life, just your everyday normal life, if it was videoed and then provided to someone who knew nothing about you, okay, so your entire week is videoed and then given to someone who's a complete stranger and they watch the entirety of it, would they be able to identify you as someone who strives to further the gospel? Not based on what you say at Sunday school in the morning, but based on your actions throughout the week. Would they even be able to identify you as a Christian? You know, I had to really take a self-inventory of my life uh, shortly after uh, I got out of college and undergrad. This has probably been about a decade ago. Um, I had been working at this job for some time, and uh, an individual who I'd worked alongside for months, you know, shoulder to shoulder, we'd, we'd work together, we'd go to lunch together, everything else. Uh, we were going to this conference where I knew there would be a lot of downtime, and I decided to bring the, my Bible with me so I can read the Bible in those times of downtime. And I, I went and did that, and he came up to me, and he saw I was reading the Bible. And he said, man, Chase, that's great that you're reading the Bible. I had no idea you were a Christian. And man, that was, that was really difficult for me. I had to take a self-inventory of my life and say, man, I am... I am rubbing shoulders with this individual. I say that I care about him, and I have never even spoken into him the fact that I believe in the Lord Jesus as my Savior. He has no idea, even worse, based on my action, actions, that he could distinguish me from a non-believer. Man, as Christians, we should, people should be able to know that there is something different about us by the way we live our lives, by the way we treat others, by the decisions that we make so that we could be impactful for the gospel. And when that opportunity presents itself to be able to uh, tell someone about our faith and why we are different. Um, I think oftentimes, this ties us into verse 16, why it's so difficult to live a life like that of intentionality towards furthering the will of God in our life. The problem is, is that we find ourselves seeking after and boasting in our own selfish, selfish desires, which takes us to verse 16. And James writes, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So this is on the heels of saying you should live your life to, uh, if God wills it, we'll do it. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, one of the main reasons I wanted to preach on this is because I wanted to study about it myself. Um, I have struggled so much of my life with the issues of pride in my life and, and seeing that uh, manifest itself. And obviously, when we engage in boasting and arrogance, it all, the root of that is pride, right? And so, man, I find myself even being boastful about things that don't make any sense. They're not even attributable to me, right? Um, I loved sports growing up. You could ask my dad, I still do now. You could ask my dad um, from the time, and my mother, from the time that I was a little kid, before I could even walk, we had a crib apparently in my room, and they would set up one of those little tykes basketball goals, and I was crawling around, taking a basketball and shooting before I could even walk. So it was always something I wanted to do. I'm sure I was destined for the NBA. Uh, unfortunately, at some point, I stopped growing vertically and only went horizontal. That's not good for a basketball player, and so uh, I stand before you today. Um, but 
God, and, and I played, you know, baseball in high school, and a little bit in college, and I was good, and I loved it, but I was never great, and I was never the best player or anything like that. Now, God has blessed me with these children who sit over here, uh, including my nephew who's right there, who are amazing at sports, okay? They are just so talented, and I love getting to go to their, their games and coach and watch them. Uh, I've got my daughter, Ava, who's a wonderful basketball and softball player. Uh, my youngest son, Ian, he's like a fire plug out there on the football field, and his little you know, kindergarten flag football league. And then Miles, he just plays every sport that you could ever imagine. I mean, he came up to us the other day and he told us that, hey, mom, dad, I got to play lacrosse. I was like, lacrosse? How do you even know what lacrosse is? You know, I mean, son, you play 10 sports. We can't take you to lacrosse, okay? So we're holding out right now and he's not a lacrosse player yet. Um, But if it's Ava getting a big hit at a softball game or if it's Ian doing his patented cutback move in a football game, which y'all got to see it later. It's pretty good. Um, Or if it's Miles doing a step back three and winning a basketball game. The first thing that just naturally comes out of my mouth is, that's my daughter. That's my son. And I think, what am I doing? You know, I'm not even encouraging them or congratulating them. I'm saying, look at me, you know, look at me. I'm boasting in, I don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know if I want people to look at me and I say, yep, that's me. I mean, I'm half of their genes right there. You know, thank you very much. Um, it's foolish things like that, right? And, it, and, it, and it's other things, obviously, right? That, that's, that's a little bit of a funny example, but no matter what it is, whether it be the awards we have won, honors we have received, or any self-perceived abilities, none of those things are worthy of boasting, right? Scripture tells us that very clearly. If we look at James uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, James writes, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises and its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Man, isn't that humbling? Um, James 5, 2, he reminds us, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. All these things that we strive for, these ways in which we want to build ourselves up, they have no eternal value. They're all temporal. They'll all be forgotten. They will all waste away. The only thing that's worthy of our boasting is Jesus Christ. He has an eternal impact. He has completed the work on our behalf that we can never complete, and he's done it for all who submit to him. If we look in Scripture, it talks about boasting in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And if we look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, I think it does a great job of just summarizing this whole concept. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Really lean in for this last sentence. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can't serve two masters, right? If our treasure are all these accomplishments, these things we're seeking after by our own abilities here on earth, that's where our heart's going to be. It's not going to be focused on the Lord. It's not going to be focused on furthering the gospel. But if we put our treasure in heaven from an eternal standpoint, and we want to focus in on the will of God and furthering the gospel, man, that's where our heart's going to be. And that's where it needs to be as Christians. James wraps up with this general truth in verse 17, where he says, 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So living out that truth, it's a two-step process, right? We have to be first discerning. We've got to determine what is the right thing to do in our life? What is God's will? Going back to verse 15. And oftentimes that's very difficult to do, right? Especially if we're living these fast-paced lives where we never slow down, where we get into the study of Scripture, where we are steadfast in prayer and asking God, God, reveal to me in my life, what's, what's your will for me? How, how should I, I act in this way? And then oftentimes it's difficult because we could be presented with two good options, right? If we're coming out of college and we've got two job offers on the table, um, choose, it, there might not be one clear path that God doesn't want you to take, right? Choosing one over the other may not lead to sin and destruction, right? There could be two potentially good options for you. But in those circumstances, we honor God in being steadfast in seeking out His will and basing our decision on what we believe will best honor God and not ourselves. So that's the first step in that last general truth. The second, after we discern what is the right thing to do, what is God's will in my life, the most difficult part is actually the application, right? Living it out, being the hands and feet of Christ, um, avoiding these sins of omission when we know this is how I should be moving, this is where God is calling me, but I, I just can't get there, right? Um, this is so difficult for us because oftentimes we discover you know, God's will is not what we wanted, right? It doesn't line up with my own selfish desires. Uh, when I was reading through some commentary that Matt provided me on James and preparing for the message, um, it was a, a, some great words from Kent Hughes, and this is what he wrote. He said, we are such children of our times that we cannot conceive it would ever be God's will that we not become rich and prosperous. Think about that. We are such children of our times that we cannot conceive it would ever be God's will that we not become rich and prosperous. Let me be very clear about this. This book, the Bible, it provides no support whatsoever for the prosperity gospel, right? There is no basis or support in here for that kind of message. Seeking out and living God's will in your life may not look like prosperity from an earthly standpoint. It may call you into suffering for the gospel. He may call you into missionary work in, in Africa, right, where you will suffer for the sake of the gospel. And man, what a joy that would be in honoring God in that way. Um, an additional problem that we have is, like we talked about before, we want to boast in our own arrogance, right? We have that desire, that earthly desire to be able to lift up our own name and say, look at me, look how great I am. Come pat me on the back and, to, and look at all these accomplishments that I've laid up on my own accord. And like I told you, this is something that I have struggled with throughout the entirety of my life. And a few years ago, I attended a men's conference with some of the uh, other men from the church. And um, Matt Chandler was speaking, and he used this illustration that really was impactful for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. Um, but I will say, it's going to take a little bit of audience participation. Now, before you start bolting for the exits, trust me that I'm only going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? So it's not going to be difficult. Um, if, for those in here who know the first name of your grandfather on your father's side, raise your hand. If you know the first name of your grandfather on the father's side, uh, my grandfather's name was Earl. He was a wonderful man who loved, loved the Lord, and he loved us as well, and he was very impactful in my life. Um, now, 
taking it one generation from there. Raise your hand if you know the first name of your great-grandfather. See, my hand would go down. I don't know what his name is. I know that it was Paw Paul Potter, but I don't know what the first name was, right? Okay? And so, let's take it, there was far fewer hands raised on that one, right? Let's take it one step removed from that. Your great-great-grandfather. Does anybody know the first name of your great-great-grandfather? Look how few hands are raised in here, okay? We spend our lives striving after all these accomplishments from an earthly perspective, trying to leave some type of legacy of our own as we leave. And in all likelihood, three generations from now, our own family won't even know our first name. They won't know what we accomplished. They won't know what position you held in the company. They won't know what your 401k looked like, okay? All those things will fade away. Now, that's a humbling thing to hear, but don't be discouraged as a Christian. You can absolutely live an impactful life that will have eternal value, right? Let's take it from here. Raise your hand if you know the name of Jesus in this room. All these hands are raised, right? Think about how amazing it will be if three generations from now, when somebody's standing up on a Sunday morning and asks that same question, and all the hands in the auditorium are raised in praise to Jesus Christ because we as a church body, we as individuals are dedicated to living out the will of God in our life so we can be impactful for making the name of Jesus famous as opposed to our own name. That is how we live impactful lives as Christians. It is my prayer that the desire of our hearts both individually and corporately as a church body would be to seek out God's will for our life and when he is faithful to reveal it, let our response be, Lord, I'm willing. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the many ways in which you provide for us in our life. God, we are thankful that you provide us the opportunity to study your word and to reach out to you in prayer so that you could reveal to us how you would have us move to effectuate your will in our life and to further the gospel. God, I pray that as a church body and as individuals, if we boast, we would boast in the name of Jesus Christ alone. And it's in his name that we pray.